join with me now in prayer. Our Father, in the joy of this song, we come to thank you for leading us day by day and giving to us thy personal presence to strengthen and guide our every footstep. And now as we come this morning, we come with hearts filled with thanksgiving and seeking to praise your name. And Father, we pray that your presence will be felt here in a very unusual way this morning. Touch our hearts with your spirit. Help him who proclaims the message to us to have thy spirit guiding every thought, every word. And help us to be attentive and to be responsive to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'd like to welcome those who visit with us this morning and would like to ask those who do visit if they won't just raise their hand right now. Our men here at the front have some visitors' cards and as they come up the aisle, they will give you one. So if you'll raise your hand up good and high, they can see it and give you one of our visitors' cards. We ask that you take it, fill it out and drop it in the offering plate a little later in the service. This will give us a record of your visit we can share with you our gratitude for your coming and being with us. It's such a joy to have you, and we trust this will be a time of blessing to you as you join with us in the worship experience this morning. We do want to invite you to come back, too, if you're in our city looking for a church home. You can't find a greater fellowship of service and ministry than Brainerd Baptist Church, and we invite you to come and to link your hearts and lives with us. If you're traveling through town, we wish for you a safe journey as you're on the highway. This is the beginning of our uh, youth week this morning. The key will be passed over, and our commission has all of the activities and the schedule, and you'll want to keep up with what the young people are doing. But this morning, in the absence of our Sunday school director, Brother Mac McCarley, who is in Alabama with his father who is ill, Mr. Wayne Brown comes, and he's going to introduce our youth week Sunday school director. In our Sunday school this morning, we have 1,524 enrolled. We had 852 members present. We had one new member, and we had 27 fine visitors for a total of 880. Last Sunday, we had 860, and a year ago today, we had 778. We're happy to welcome you who are visiting with us this morning. We pray that you receive the blessing from having heard God's word from your teachers. And for those who are members of our Sunday school, we're are happy that you're here. We pray that we'll continue to see our Sunday school climb each Sunday morning. And this morning, I would like to introduce to you our Youth Week Sunday School uh, Director, Dale Hooker, who will come and say a few words for us. Speaking for all the youth, I can say that we're very thankful for this opportunity to serve during Youth Week. I'd like for every one of us to pray for these youth so that Next week, we'll all receive a blessing. Thank you. And we're looking forward to the young people leading us in the Sunday school, church training hour, and all the activities of the week. They have quite a busy schedule. And uh, I'm going to add two more things uh, to it that uh, some of them are not even aware of, but uh, two of the young people's uh, officers for the week gave me these notes. The Youth Week Ushers, if you're a Youth Week Usher, There'll be a meeting this afternoon at 5.30. Would you make a note of that for all the Youth Week ushers? And then the kite flying derby on Saturday. The location is at the Chickamauga Battleground at 1.45. And you're to meet at the museum. And everyone is invited whether you have a kite or not. This would be your opportunity to go fly that kite that everybody's been telling you to fly all these years. So you come down a Saturday afternoon, 1.45, and join in the kite flying experience. 
Uh, we also will have our Youth Week pastor come uh, at the conclusion of the service, and our pastor will present to him the Youth Week key, which will, of course, mark the beginning uh, of it all. But uh, several activities on the week scheduled, I think, are outstanding. I know the young people want to take part uh, in all of it. Then uh, one other announcement, too. <clears throat> at the entrances, as you came in and also as you exit, you'll find some posters promoting our School of Witnessing, which begins March the 19th and goes through the 21st, with Brother David Walker coming to lead us. We invite you to take one or two or three or how many you need and to put them up at your place of business uh, or in your office and invite others to come and to be a part of this opportunity of learning to witness and then going forth and witnessing uh, in the Lord's name. Now, Brother Harry, are you going to announce about our organist? Good. This afternoon, we'll be privileged to have Mr. Robert McDonald present an organ recital here in our sanctuary. I wanted to have you meet him. He is in our service this morning. Mr. McDonald, would you please stand that they might see you? He decided to sit in the balcony this morning so he could hear the choir and the organ. We're happy that you're in our service this morning also. And you know, from time to time, we have recitals in our church, and most of the time, they've been sponsored by by the American Guild of Organists. But this is our recital. This is sponsored by Brainerd Baptist Church. So this is for you, our people. And we do hope that you will be in attendance at 4.30 this afternoon to hear Mr. McDonald. Now for your convenience, we've prepared a little snack supper so that you can stay after the recital, then on to church training and the evening worship. So you plan to be here at 4.30, a little snack supper at 5.30, then church and evening worship. I know you'll be blessed by hearing Mr. McDonald's recital. One final announcement. There in the pew, you find some of our Annie Armstrong mission offering envelopes. This is the week of emphasis uh, Sunday, our Annie Armstrong mission offering Sunday. If you have not already given, let me urge you to do so. Our goal of $5,324, uh, reaching towards it each day. If you haven't already made an offering, you may want to do so. If you're not prepared this morning, uh, if you would uh, take an envelope and turn it in later in the week. Also, remember that in your packet of envelopes that you receive each month, there are those uh, Annie Armstrong offering envelopes which you might use. Missions around this nation of ours are in great need of financial support, and every con contribution that you make goes to reach another soul for Christ. And I know it's greatly appreciated. May we stand together as we begin our morning worship. hour in which thou hast brought us together. 
And we pray, O oh Lord, that we might know your presence and that your Holy Spirit would not have hindrance, but that through your word he might speak to us. We come to you in this hour with great thanksgiving, rejoicing in the love that is ours and giving you thanks for the blessings that have come our way. Knowing, Father, of your love and knowing of the provision that you have made and guidance for our lives, we come to rejoice that we are not forced to wander alone, but that in that sweet fellowship with you and with others whom thou dost give us to walk with along the way, we draw strength. In this hour, Father, of worship, when we're privileged to come and to be in your house, we pray for those who cannot be with us. We pray for those who are sick, some in the hospital, at the point of death. At that point, Father, at the very edge of the darkness of the valley of the shadows of death. Lord, we pray that your will be done in their lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those of our number who are at home, who are the shut-ins, give them your presence and the power to face each day and to know new joy each day. Bless us, we pray now, for we depend upon you and we commit this service to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
number 20, O Worship the King. First two stanzas in harmony, please. The last two stanzas in unison. Hymn number 20. Let's stand as we sing. be seated. Hymn number 154, Great Redeemer, we adore thee.
Our hymn of offering this morning is 369, Purer in Heart, O God. As we stand to sing, our brethren will prepare to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Let's stand. shall be pure in heart. We thank thee for the blessings of life and for everything that thou hast given to us. Bless us now as we bring our gifts unto thee. Use them for the ongoing of thy kingdom is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. time I plan to sing Amazing Grace, I come with fear and trepidation, not knowing how you will respond. But knowing you as good people Brainerd Baptist Church, all I need to say is we're going to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I believe you know what's necessary to do. Great hymn, great song of testimony. Stanza one will be sung by the men, stanza two by the ladies, will be an organ Interlude for the stanza three, we'll join together on stanza four. Let's stand as we sing, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound.
in the message of this morning, which is a continuation of the message that was to have been a complete message and finished on last Sunday morning, and that extended into the evening hour, and so it has extended, as we announced, into this hour. I'm reminded concerning this particular message that I had planned to deliver in its entirety at one time on last Sunday, a statement that I heard Dr. Lee make one time about a message. He said, my sermons are just like a long stick of bologna. Chop it off anywhere, and it's all right. I hope that the eating of this uh, will be for our good. Yesterday morning, I was driving back to Chattanooga from Knoxville. I had gone over on Friday evening to attend and be in a working session of our Tennessee Baptist Committee on Ministry to the Aging. And exciting things are happening in this work and in this field. And we feel that it is just a matter of months before some very thrilling developments will be able to be made public. We worked until some one o'clock in the morning. And then yesterday morning in driving back, I happened upon what I thought was a forest fire on that new section of the interstate between Athens and Cleveland. Off in the distance, tremendous flames could be seen, the fire billowing, the smoke billowing up. And I thought, isn't that tragic, the waste of the forest? And then drove upon that horrible scene, car after car, the tally this morning, 17 cars, three trucks, and a van. And the tragedy of one of the worst accidents I personally have ever seen, the horror of it. As I drove away from that, I thought and have continued to think in these hours that that in its awesome tragedy, the snuffing out of those lives, the disfigurement of others, the horrible financial costs, all of the anguish and the anxiety and the hurt and the sorrow of it was caused by a simple domino effect. In the midst of a fog, someone slowed down and the ones behind did not and caught up in the misery of it, many lives and many homes have now been touched with tragedy. And I have not been able to escape this lesson that this is also true in our homes. One of us slows down in the midst of some fog of confusion or hurt 
or misunderstanding. And unhappy things happen to the other members of our family. And when things happen to our families, it touches other families. And the sorrow spreads. I suppose it was for that reason that God had so much to say about the family in the Bible. And until this awesome burden weighed upon my soul in these recent months and weeks, though I have read the Bible again and again and studied it systematically from many different viewpoints, I've never quite fully been aware of the magnitude of the teachings of the Bible as to what God has had to say concerning the family for he is so vitally concerned and so vitally interested. Simply as means of the turning of the soil, the area in which we tried to move on last Lord's Day, we shared that the home is in a precarious position, your home and my home, not academically speaking the home, not theoretically speaking the home. I'm talking about that place where you dwell, not the house in which you live or the apartment, but I'm talking about that magic relationship of your marriage, your home. Your home and my home is in great danger in danger from exactly the same kind of onslaught and oppression and enemy that has been present in the world since the God established the first home. The devil is out to destroy your home, and he'll do it unless you seize upon a power that is greater than Satan's power. The tragedy of some homes where the going is rough has been either a positive or at least a tacit denial of the reality of Satan himself. And Satan has won quite a victory in your mind if somehow he has led you to believe that he doesn't exist and that somehow the devil is nothing but a composite of all the evil of the world. The devil is a person he was an angel of light, standing closest to God, but somehow usurping the place of God or wanting to usurp the place of God, rebelled against God and was expelled from that close fellowship with God. And Satan's one activity is to rob God of glory. Satan's one main chief work is to take those of us who belong to God and so weaken us and so cheapen us and so make our lives miserable that God gets no glory from our lives. As it was Satan who in the form of the serpent 
entice that first man and woman, Adam and Eve, to disobey God, not to believe God, and so brought about the disruption of that first home. So the home that is being disrupted today in our fellowship has the same influences at work, Satan at work. The devil is after our homes. And we're in such bad fix because more often than not, we have tried to take some little tiny remedy to obey the laws of man rather than the laws of God. Plagued with a terrible disease that threatens to snuff out life itself, we've been trying to put some little skin salve on as though that would solve the problem that goes much, much deeper. We're in the fix that we're in because so many of us have tried to build our homes and are trying to build our homes without a personal commitment and relationship to Jesus Christ that puts us together as yoke fellows, that puts us together as equals under the Lord. The growing philosophy that we're going to live the way we want to live regardless of how it affects anybody else, and this matter of the utter selfishness. Satan works constantly at whatever area of your life makes you selfish. In the egotism that is a part of every one of us. Now, nobody's worth much if he doesn't have a little bit of ego. That's all right. That provides a spark plug. But when the ego, when the I, when the me, when the self becomes the center point of existence and the stars and the moon and the sun all move about little I, when the family must bend and bow to every whim of the I, when every little program and activity of the church must revolve about the little I, when we become self-centered and I is central in life, then we sow the seeds, we build the foundation for the disruption of our family, for the disruption of home, for the disruption of any part of society in which we happen to deal. The person who lives that totally self-centered kind of life, an utterly selfish life, will bring, bring disruption to the PTA. We'll wreak havoc in the Kiwanis meeting. We'll make fellow Rotarians wish you'd never join the club. And you'll bring an added amount of misery and hell to the church. And you make what ought to be a touch of heaven on earth, a home, you'll make it become the very vestibule of hell for a wife or a husband and for your children. When you abandon God's plans and God's way, the marks that God has put out along the roadways of life for our good and because he loves us, when we abandon these and accept our own, we're always on the way to trouble. And we depart from the biblical truths that God has given us. Now we saw last Sunday at the beauty and the wonder of God's creation, the first and the second chapters of the book of Genesis, 
are absolutely thrilling, thrilling in the account of God bringing this universe of which we're a part at this stage of life into existence. How that when God had created all the other creatures, he then created a man. He molded him, he fashioned him, and then breathed into him the breath of life. He was given a job, he was given a task. He said, name every animal that lives. God himself had named man, and he said to man, you name the animals. And that was a task. Imagine giving names to all the creatures. And after the, all the creatures had moved before this first man, Adam, God saw that there was not a helpmeet, there was not a suitable companion for this creature, man, to be found among all the animals of the world. And so he created from man a very special and a very lovely and a very wonderful creature called woman. The third chapter of the book of Genesis tells us where things went wrong. There's all the difference in the world in the Garden of Eden at the close of the second chapter of Genesis and the beginning of the third chapter. How often there is that dividing line in our marriage lives. There comes that time, that subtle unconscious time when the honeymoon is over. For some, the honeymoon lasts longer than for others. For some, there is the tragedy that a the honeymoon really doesn't have a chance to get going. Sin entered, and disruption came. But does that mean that God then said, I abandon you? I'm going to close my eyes to you. I'm going to turn my back upon you. I'm not going to be concerned about you. Go your own way and do your own thing. Not at all. Or even though sin entered and that first husband and first wife were perfectly willing to believe that what the devil told them was the truth and what God had told them was a lie, God said, I love you and I want to bless you in spite of all of this. What a difference your home could be if you would quit believing that the devil whispers truth to you and that what God has said to you in his book is a lie. So many of you just live that way as though somehow when Satan whispers that you will come off better by listening to the devil and by following in that way rather than to listen to what God has clearly marked out. You see, I know that's true because one half of the families of our church somehow listen to the devil when the devil says God's lying to you when he says that everything that you have belongs to him and all he wants you to do is prove your love to him, trust him with a tenth, with the first tenth of what you've got, trust him with that. And Satan comes and says, God's lying to you. You can't make it if you give God that. 
you, you can't pay your bills. You've got problems. You, you've got financial difficulties. You've got financial burdens. God's not telling you the truth. The devil whispers to you. And you see, I know. I know that in looking over the cards of our commitment of the last three weeks that over half of the families of our church are listening to the devil in this matter rather than listening to what God has to say. And when we listen to the devil in this area, then you see the devil has his foot in the door and the devil is saying to us along the way, see, you follow me, you listen to me. But the devil's way always leads away from God. It's the way of rebellion. It's the way of sorrow. It's the way of a big price to be paid. The Bible is about as clear and as definite as it can be concerning the matter of the marriage relationship. The home was created by God. Two institutions on the face of the earth have the touch of God, the home and the church. And Satan wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy our church. He'll do his best to close us up, to keep us weak, to destroy our witness and our influence. Oh, if we continue to exist for a number of years that go on, he'll do his best to cripple us so that we really don't mean much in our community or in our city or in the kingdom of God. And how will he do it? Well, he won't come in in one big atomic explosion, blow us off the face of the earth, but he'll come in and he'll put off those little chain reaction explosions in our homes. He'll come and he'll work at those natural tendencies in my life and in your life that will get us upset with husbands and wives and with our children and children with parents. He'll build the walls, he'll divide families. And as Christian families, then go by the board, then the church is by so much weakened and the cause of Christ so much hindered. You see, the interworking interrelationship between your one family and this one family of God is such an organic thing that we are intertwined in each other's lives. And that which hurts you hurts all of us. And that which blesses you blesses all of us. And so the stability of the home is not a thing to be left a happenstance. It's not a thing to be left to just odd happenings. But the stability of your home is of such vital interest and of such vital concern to God that he has marked the way out for us. And he has given us those guidelines as to what is right and what's wrong. And in the knowledge that as we study the word of God and we're familiar with it, and as we are willing to make the sacrifice or what seems to be a sacrifice to follow God's direction and God's way, then it is we arrive at that kind of a home that God is not only pleased with, but that floods our own souls with the joys of heaven. There's a vast catalog of sins that are eating away at your happiness. 
and eating away the foundation of your home. Not other homes, your home. God spoke to Moses in a very positive and a very definite way. And last Sunday evening, we looked at some detail at the things that Moses had to say, seeking to regulate for the children of Israel the institution of marriage, seeking to help this ragtag group of slaves who had come out of Egypt, helping them to live with the pagan philosophies in which they had grown up and developed. We're Christians. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of this church fellowship. We must hear, above all else, we must hear what Jesus has to say. Jesus is the voice of God. Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, all the authority of eternity. Jesus. What did Jesus have to say about it? Oh, we're not surprised that Jesus had a great deal to say because this was such a vital matter for him, for us. The Holy Spirit inspired Matthew. Matthew, who wrote his gospel, primarily for the Jewish reader. The Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to listen carefully, to hear and to record the words of Jesus as it related to this matter as it's found in the 19th chapter of his gospel. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9. This is Jesus speaking. Do not approach the wisdom of Jesus as though he were a stern individual who wants only to rob you of some happiness and some blessing. Do not approach what Jesus is going to say as though this were some hard matter, but rather that one who in love loves you and cares for you and is concerned about you and your home. Listen to the great physician. The Pharisees came also unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful? For a man to put away his wife for every cause, for just any cause? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Have you not read? And where would they have read it? Back in the law of Moses, the Bible, their scripture. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two. They're not two people, but they're one. What therefore God hath joined together, 
let not man put asunder. They say unto him, well, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And he said unto them, Moses said that you could do this because of the hardness of your hearts. Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses suffered you to put away your wives. But now look at this. The next statement of our Lord is so vitally important. But from the beginning, it was not so. Let's pause for a moment before we conclude this passage. A great part of the misery that has come into Christian homes comes because we are willing to listen and to follow and to be directed by man laws instead of God's laws. Moses said to the children of Israel coming out of the pagan practices of polygamy and the sinful practices of Egypt, he devised a means on a bill of divorcement. But Jesus said clearly, this was possible only because of the hardness of your hearts, but God did not so intend it from the beginning. The ideal between first man and first woman, between Adam and Eve, and between Adam and Eve and Moses, God had intended one man, one woman, one husband, one wife, one home, and the joy and the wonder and the thrill of it, God established the marriage condition, the marriage relationship, the marriage contract, and God did not put it in his plans that there was some contingency plan that if things just don't work out smoothly, we can call it quits. I said last Sunday that there are some wedding ceremonies, some marriage altars, where I'm certain that individuals have exchanged their vows with that mental reservation. If it doesn't work out, we'll split up. But from the beginning, Jesus said it was not so. The ninth verse. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. This is the word of Jesus, given because he loves, given because he was there at the beginning given because he knows the ideal, given because in love he wants the home to be blessed, to be strong, to grow, and to be in the joy of relationship 
as the joy of the relationship of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in that mystery of that perfect relationship and union of the three distinct persons, so the ideal for your home and mine is that perfect and happy and holy relationship. Jesus seeks always to lift and to improve. Jesus carries us back to God's original plans, and he says to us, the family is God's. The husband belongs to God. The wife belongs to God. The children belong to God. The marriage is a part of God's plan. Boy and girl growing up, physically attracted to each other. The love bug bites you and you hear bells and you see stars and, and everything's lovely and oh, how wonderful it is. And you make your plans and you get ready to get married. Somehow, as though the love that you have for each other is your own little private world, and you make your plans for marriage. You make your plans how you're going to march in the aisle and what songs are going to be sung and what music will be played at the organ and about the reception. You make your plans for the ceremony. And these are all wonderful things, but somehow making those plans as though it was your own tiny private little world. You love each other. Stars in your eyes. Everything's wonderful. Seeing no problems. Oh, how many times have couples come for that marriage counseling session with almost a mountain to get across to make a, a, a situation that could work, point it out in love for them and say, oh, it doesn't make a difference, preacher. We love each other. We love each other. Well, thank God for that. But sometimes that which we call love for each other is not the key, it's not the solution to all the problems that face us day by day. When day by day he every morning wakes up and sees you in those hideous hair curlers. When day by day she discovers that you're not that bright, shining, handsome knight that you happen to have been during courtship and you wander around the house in your underwear. When the hard facts of life begin to roll around that uh, she's got to pick up after you like you were a three-month-old baby. Oh, when these things come, sometimes that physical attraction, that infatuation that we label love has a way of becoming mighty strained. But you see, the marriage that you planned and that you shared in, and some of you find Christian young couples in the planning of your homes that are going to be out there in the future. That private little bit of planning is not a private little bit of planning. Well, you see, God's been in on it from the beginning, and if it's going to be what you want it to be and what it will be for you, you see, you need to know that the very institution of marriage was started by God. It's not just a matter of you going down to the courthouse and getting a license to give somebody an authority to tie the knot. Oh, it's far more than that. 
the marriage relationship into which you enter in that inner sanctity of just one man and one woman together in the bonds of the intimacy of marriage and all the, the little nuances and the give and the take. That man who seems to be so very strong and powerful and wonderful and in the committee meetings is very powerful and dominant when he gets home, his wife sees him as a sniveling little somebody, kind of whining around in the corners. And this girl who appears to be so very marvelous at church in that intimacy and the privacy of the marriage behind all the closed doors she's a hellion and a little wildcat now marriage was started by God and he had something to do not only with Adam and Eve's marriage but everyone that's come along the way since right down to us it's an institution of God, which means that one of the things to put in for the matter of success in marriage is the matter of being certain God is in and that what God has said is in and the boundary lines that God's marked out is in. And God has said marriage is a part of my plan. I created Adam, I created Eve, I said to them be fruitful and multiply. It was his plan for the propagation of the earth. It's a part of God's plan. So don't take your marriage and your home and your love affair and put it over here and say God doesn't have anything to do with it. He does. You see? And when you let him, then marvelous and wonderful things happen. And when you don't let him, then the earthquake tremors begin to come like ancient Jericho's walls, they'll come a-tumbling down. Jesus gave us these truths because he loves us. And I don't know whether you believe it or not. I hope that you believe me. But that's just the sub-paragraph A and B. Under what I had planned to be about a five-point message this morning. There's a great deal that God is saying. And so tonight, I want to talk about why is God seemingly so rigid in his word about his plans for our married life. I want to talk tonight, God willing and the clock allowing, about God's treatment for our family problems. I know a few families that could not benefit from this. And I want to, and I will tonight, I'm going to cover, I'm going to get to that part of the message that I've planned as God's guidepost to our young people. I think no more fitting concern of our hearts than this in the beginnings of our youth week and our love and concern, all of us as a church family, for these marvelous young people.
And I want to try to give you some guideposts, young people and young marrieds and middle-aged where the luster has gone out of the marriage and older friends where you're just living together and tolerating one another. I hope that God's word will speak clearly his guidepost to having a happy, happy home. Let's pray together. Our Father, we have read from your word. We have heard Jesus, who has spoken with the authority of the ages in love and in concern for us. Our Father, in this hour, I come to you again as the pastor, the under-shepherd of this congregation. I come to you and ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit that those husbands and wives we're going through difficult days, some even in the contemplation of separation and divorce, some, our Father, in merely the agonies of an unhappy home situation, some, Father, who by day-to-day -day living are sowing the seeds of heartache and heartbreak, in the family. Oh Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, your word will live in their hearts and lives and come as a balm and a medicine that will bring curing and healing. So that not only can husbands and wives know love, but that they can be for you and for your glory, an agency of the blessings of God to others. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number 357, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. It's a prayer hymn. And the invitation in the prayer hymn is that you would make it maybe for that very first time as you would accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, asking him to forgive you of your sins, that selfishness of the ego eye, get it off the throne and invite Jesus to come and take first place. And if you'll do that, share that publicly with us that we can rejoice with you in your salvation. We invite you who are Christians to come and join our church in any way that we receive you. And oh, as we sing this, it is a prayer of dedication in the parts of what could be Christian husbands, Christian wives together. Take my life, take our lives, and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. A hymn of dedication. It could be the turning point in your home as we stand and sing.